Grace to you and peace from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, my brothers, my sisters in Christ. A mindset is a hard thing to change. If somebody has a victim mindset or a paranoid mindset as if the world is out to get them, it's hard to get out of that mindset. Because every little thing that goes wrong, every bad interaction that happens is taken as evidence. See? The cashier at Walmart looked at me funny. Or somebody cut me off on the highway. The world really does hate me. The world is out to get me. It's hard to break a mindset like that. If somebody has the mindset that they will never be fit, then even if they're in the gym working out, the whole time they'll be thinking, this is pointless. There's no use to doing any of this. Somebody has the mindset that they are worthless, talentless, giftless, then they won't put any effort into assignments or projects. It's hard to get out of a mindset like that. Mindset can be a prison if you let it. And it's almost impossible for us to get get ourselves out of our own mindsets. We need help. And that's why reading books can help. That's why talking to other people, getting advice can help. But tonight we're talking about the most dangerous mindset of all and how God gets us out of it. But to get there, we need to talk about the history of Israel and where they're at at the moment in their history that our lesson takes place this evening. See, the Israelites had some mindset problems. At this point in the book of Numbers, a full generation has already passed since they were liberated from slavery in Egypt. They have just spent a pretty sizable amount of time traveling through the wilderness in search of the promised land. Now, why is the land, the promised land called the promised land? Because it's the land God promised to them. You with me so far? God promised to the Israelites that after a long history of being slaves, subjected to horrible mistreatment in Egypt, they would have a place to call their own. And it was going to be beautiful, and it was going to be great. And the only way to describe it that God uses is in terms of food. That it will be a land flowing with milk and honey. Man, that sounds pretty good. But the Israelites... They struggled. They struggled to trust God and his promises. They struggled to believe that God would finally bring them into the promised land. They struggled to believe that God would protect them. But what's so ironic about this is that God, time and time again, had given them nothing but good reasons to trust him. God had provided for them in the wilderness. Bread from heaven, manna, they called it raining down and giving them something to eat. God provided them quail when they begged him for meat. They wanted water. They needed water to survive. And God gave them water even from a rock. Time and time again, God provided for them, giving them nothing but reasons to trust him. The Israelites had some mindset issues. 
And we see them at play in our lesson for this evening. Because right before our lesson for this evening, the Israelites showed up at the front door to the kingdom called Edom. They asked the leaders of Edom, can we please, pretty please, pass through your territory? We're not going to touch anything. We're not going to eat any of your food. We're not going to drink any of your water. And if you find out that we did, we will pay you back. We just really need to get through because it's so much quicker to go through Edom. The leaders of the Edomites come out and they say, Absolutely not. In fact, try it and we'll kill you. So you can understand the Israelites were a little bit discouraged. I think I would be too. They're a little bit frustrated. Now they have days, if not weeks, added to their journey that they have to pass through the wilderness after years and years of already traveling through the wilderness. They're excited to be done. And here they have to go around Edom. But in their discouragement, in their frustration, watch how they react in Numbers chapter 21. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness. There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Getting a little discouraged at what happened with the Edomites, you can understand that. Being a little frustrated about their situation, to a certain extent that's okay, but raising a fist at God and pointing a finger at God's chosen representative, Moses, and saying, this is all your fault, that's crossing a line. In fact, what do they do? After God had provided manna and quail and water throughout their journey through the wilderness, first of all, they lie and they say there is no food and there is no water when clearly God had provided for them. And then what do they call the very things God provided miserable food. We detested God. They were saying in no uncertain terms, all these blessings you're trying to give to us, God, we hate them. And brothers and sisters, this is a familiar feeling, unfortunately. We're right there with the Israelites in their frustration. We have had times when we are discouraged. And unfortunately, we have had times where we have detested the very blessings God gives. It's not just the car that gets me from point A to point B that gets called a piece of junk more often than it deserves. It's the friends in our lives who are at our beck and call. They respond to every text and every call, and yet we still find ways to avoid thinking of them as blessings because they don't listen the way we want them to listen, because they don't let us talk as much about ourselves as we would like to, or whatever. It's the church service where we know as soon as we show up, we will be greeted by throngs of people who do nothing but care the most about us and want what's best for us. But sometimes, isn't it so hard not to think of it as a waste of time? 
as a burden on our schedule, even though 100% of the service is designed for our comfort and our encouragement. It is so hard to see the blessings of God as blessings, and our sinful nature is bent toward despising them just because they came from God. So while we're with the Israelites in their discouragement, we know what it is to be frustrated. We stand right with them in their propensity to hate the very blessings of God. And that means we stand right there with them and deserve what comes next. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people and many Israelites died. How do you get someone to snap out of a bad mindset? Venomous snakes will do it. When you had an, ad- an attitude problem growing up, what did your parents do? You were at Disney World and you couldn't stop complaining about how you didn't get your favorite flavor of ice cream. Your dad pulls you aside and says, you better shape up or ship out. Fix your attitude now or we're going home. Remember that? I certainly do. If you want to train a dog and you're running out of options, a shock collar will work. You get the dog to associate pain and displeasure with a certain course of action, that dog will learn usually pretty fast not to do that course of action. But is that what we are to God? Is that what the Israelites are to God? Dogs to be trained, children to be corrected, rebuked? I hate my alarm clock. Some people have love-hate relationships with things. It is a hate-hate relationship with my alarm clock. Is that true for you? Because what is the alarm clock's number one job? It is essential. You need it. But it's not fun. It wakes you up from a deep sleep that you would probably prefer to continue. And it reminds you that you've got to get up and do things with your day which is not necessarily what you want to think about right away. You maybe want to wake up a little more gradually. But the alarm clock is so necessary. God sent venomous snakes among the Israelites, terrifying venomous snakes that bit them. Some of them got infected, and some of them even died. But what would be worse, to die from a snake bite or to go on living despising God, hating his blessings, hating what he was giving to them, looking at God as the source of your problems instead of the source of your goodness. No, the real threat, brothers and sisters, this day in the wilderness was not the poisonous snakes. It was the horrific, sinful mindset. So God sent snakes to wake them up. The alarm was sounding. Wake up, Israel, and let's wake up too. God is blessing us. He is there for us. So God sent those snakes because he loved them. Because he didn't want them to continue hating his blessings. Because he wanted to wake them up out of their mindset and shock them into a new mindset. Because watch what else God provides on that day. 
The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So simple. Moses takes a bronze snake, a little statue of a snake, raises it up on a pole, and all anyone has to do is look at it, and they live. God provided such an easy way to be saved from certain death. If anyone was afraid of dying that day, the solution, the remedy, was so easy. Just look at a snake. That's it. Why do you think God did it that way? They say if you're feeling unhappy, one thing you should try is to talk like you're happy, is to say that you're happy. And if you do that enough, maybe your heart will start to believe you. Your attitude, your feelings will follow suit. Isn't that funny that the words of your mouth, the words that you use, can lead the way and change your emotions, your seat of emotion? God is leading the Israelites to put their eyeballs on something so that their heart reflects on something more profound. God is saying, look to what I have provided for salvation. And he was leading the Israelites to meditate once again to see if they didn't get this before, they were getting it now, that God was there to save them, to provide for them, to love them. And so it's kind of hard not to read the, the bronze snake on the pole without thinking about Jesus on the cross. And part of the reason that that's so hard is because Jesus makes the connection himself. In the Gospel of John, chapter 3, Jesus says, Just as Moses lifted up the bronze snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who looks upon him and believes will live. Just like Moses put the snake up on a pole, Jesus had to go up on his own pole, the cross, for the almost the same reason so that dying people could look at him and see God's power to save so that we could learn once and for all the lesson that God is our one and only hope for salvation because Jesus was lifted up on that pole to do more than just change your attitude to more to do more than just say shape up or ship out Jesus was lifted up on that pole to see, to show you how far God was willing to go to free you not just from a poor attitude but from the prison where the wardens are sin and death themselves Jesus was raised up on a cross to forgive all your sins to heal your true disease of sin, to give you freedom and to show you God provides. He provides more than just what you want. He provides more than just a bunch of amazing blessings, really, that make life pretty great. But he gives you what you need the most. Salvation. Healing for your soul. 
Look at the cross, and that's what you see. And that's all that faith really is. All that faith really is, is having the eyes to see Jesus on the cross for what that means. And just like when your eyes are open, you can't look at nothing. When your eyes are open, they are resting on something, whether you're focusing on it or not. Faith always looks at something. And so when people say, I get through life by my faith, or I survive by my faith, we understand what they mean by that. But the obvious question is, okay, faith in what? What do you have faith in? Because faith is only as strong as what you put it in. So this evening, brothers and sisters, and always, put your faith in the strongest Savior imaginable. Put your faith in Jesus. And all you got to do to do that is just look at him. Just lift your eyes and see him for what he is. Hanging on the cross for you for your salvation, for your healing. Look upon Jesus with the eyes of your faith as your one and only source of comfort, of love, of security, of encouragement, and of hope. If you struggle with a glass-half-empty kind of mindset, look at Jesus. Meditate on Jesus. Find ways to be reminded of the history of what God has done for you. Rest your eyes on Jesus and him alone. Amen.